Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just come back from seeing Solo, a Star Wars story. Yes. Which is one of these standalone Star Wars ones that they're doing now. The first one was Rogue One a couple of years ago. I'm just feeling a sense of Star Wars saturation, to be honest. Every like the, at the start of the film, so the, so these spin-offs, mm. um, they don't have the the Star Wars fanfare music, uh, which is still reserved just for the main Star Wars films. But they do have the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and even that, you know, should feel exciting. But now there's one a year; it doesn't anymore. Well, well, I've never been excited by them. Uh, but uh, this is the this is this is the one I've liked uh, uh, most uh, uh, since the second one. <laughs> since, uh, as in, Empire Strikes Back. back yeah, in, like, the Empire Strikes. Back. This is my favorite of the of the films since the Empire Strikes Back. Wow. No, not. <laughs> <laughs> I found it unbelievably boring. Not funny enough. Uh-huh. Um, pretty uninspiring to look at. Uh, Pretty badly paced, uh, not really much of a control of tone, um, not enough personality. I had a pretty bad time. Uh, well, I enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the most uh, textured films. It had, you know, the most attractive cast uh, 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 since, since the original. I mean, obviously, you can't replace Harrison Ford. You know, uh, but actually, you can replace everybody else pretty much, and I think this one does a really good job of it. Uh, uh, I thought Emilia Clarke was wonderful. I thought Aaron Eckhart, you know, he's not <laughs> Aaron Eckhart. Aaron, what's his name? Alden Ehrenreich. Okay, uh, oh God, no wonder. <laughs> Alden Ehrenreich uh, uh, was really good, actually. You know, you can't kind of measure him in relation to Harrison Ford. Uh, you know, but on his own, I thought he was very good. It was wonderful to see Woody Harrelson, Danny Glover. You know, Sandy Newton was wonderful. Danny Glover, Donald Glover. Donald Glover uh, <laughs> was wonderful. Uh, so, so I thought for me, and and what's his name? Uh, Paul Brittany. Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, was wonderful. So it had the most, the the best cast. It actually had textured characters. Uh, for me, the, the adventure was exciting. Uh, there were moments where I just jumped, really, you know, and kind of, and, and yeah, and there were moments that I think kind of will stay with me, really, you know, just, for example, the moment where they're separated at the beginning. I thought that was fantastic. Mm. Well, let's go ahead and just say we're going to get into spoiler territory right away. Like, it's, it's a story of young Han Solo, basically, and how yes. he becomes who he is and picks up all the... He, Chewie and the Millennium Falcon and all that sort of stuff. It's how he becomes Han Solo that you know from the later films. So he's about 23 years old in this episode. Spoilers here on. You know, yes. it's, it's the Solo story. Um, I, um, I There was an awful lot of fan service, as I guess you might expect. You know, it, it makes a lot of the, the, the thing about the Kessel Run. Like This was this old joke from the first film. Well, not a joke. In the first film it was... Um, uh, the, the Millennium Falcon such a great ship it made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs mm. and at the time like they didn't really think about the line and it was assumed that that was a they assumed that was a measurement of time uh, as in a parsec you know so the, mm. the lower parsecs faster ship and then someone went actually uh, I do know what a parsec is and it's a measurement of distance and so this has kind of been retconned in history as well okay maybe it's that it's like really agile and it dodged through like a meteor field or something you know and that's how it 
so that's why it's better than the rest. Mm. You can do it in a shorter distance. And then in this film, you actually see the Kessel Run, and you see how they take this shortcut through a dangerous sort of place. And, mm. and it should be quite exciting, and it's um, a, a, an absolute maelstrom of noise and light and colour and shakiness. And I didn't find a single moment of it interesting or exciting. And I really wanted to. Yes, well, I found it exciting. I mean, you know, I was kind of all G'd up for it. Uh, and, and the suspense of it worked with me, worked for me. Uh, I like the story much better than almost any other. Uh, uh, though, you know, I do, I do wish that they'd kind of um, given us more on it. You know, I think actually like a whole episode on them being enslaved in that planet and so on. I would have liked that. Uh, uh, so, you know, so this in a way to me moves almost like too quickly. Right. So you're introduced them in the beginning. You're given the story kind of, you know, their attempt to escape their separation. All of that is like, you know, moves along at quite a clip, I thought. There are certainly aspects to the way the world is constructed and depicted that I enjoyed. So, um, uh, Early on, this is rather like actually what you were saying when we saw the Force Awakens—not the Force Awakens, uh, the Last Jedi—and mm. you were talking about the Benicio del Toro character and how he kind of introduced this aspect to the film where you didn't have to be on the good side or the bad side; mm. you could just be in the middle somewhere, making your money off the war economy and quite immoral, and you know, sort of like not everything in the Star Wars universe has to be about the ongoing war between the good and the bad mm. side. Um, and then I thought, well, actually, no, like Han Solo. Back in 1977 was introduced as that, really. Yes. He was a smuggler and a mercenary, yeah, right. and he only did it for the money. And then through that film, he learned the kind of value of teamwork and, and, and um, you know, uh, friendship and blah, blah, blah. Um, although, to be fair, he was always friends with Chewie. Yeah. But that was like his only, you know, mm. that was like the only time he sort of had time for, for a bit of mushiness was his friendship with Chewie. Um, in this film, he kind of starts off as that uh, and then kind of loses it as he becomes a sort of mercenary mm. and then regains it. Um, but what I did like was that, so it starts off in basically, an, it's like half an orphanage slave, slave mm. uh, place, you know. Um, he's got taskmasters who rule over him and, and he's sort of a little bit snarky and he breaks the walls every now and again because that's what he's like. Um, and, and then he, he manages to escape and then he, uh, <laughs> there's this wonderful little little thing where you see an advert for the Empire's army, mm. right? Like you do, like like the Royal Navy or whatever. Yeah. It's like become a become a stormtrooper. We have great career options. You know, yes. you can learn a, die. <laughs> you can learn a skill and and valuable sort of you know. And so he's like, right, I'm just going to become a, uh, become a, uh, a join the Empire. I want to become a pilot, join the Empire, and and that kind of in a very subtle way sort of said to me like, it, it's that thing that you talked about before of how. People at the very kind of bottom of the ladder have absolutely no options except to go into the army because the guy has nothing. He's, he's only got his, his sort of wits and brawn and whatever and, and charm to get by. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to escape, go mm. to the army. Um, and then, of course, you know, the army goes here and the other. And then you get into this, into a lot of, a lot of stuff that's sort of neither here nor there where he joins a group of mercenary thieve guys and it just sort of. That, yeah, I like I liked all of that. And I found the first, the first scene when they attempt to steal that thing with the trains, I found that very exciting and actually kind of very visually, very, uh, visually interesting the way that the train unfolded and became two and went on its side. The only beef I have about it is um, that it has that metallic gray look that actually, you yes. know, I don't know if it's the glasses or whatever, but I just hate that look 
Uh, which... It's a long time before you get any colour in film. It's part of the design of it. Yeah. That kind of gunmetal grey that is just all over the first hour, hour and a half even. I hate film. it. Until you start getting blasters and spaceships. Actually, you know what I thought it was? You don't really get any colour. I thought that was due to the appearance of Donald Glover. Of, is it Donald Glover? Donald Glover, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the guy who plays Lando. That's right, because, you know, I was very attentive to how he was photographed. And actually, he's photographed beautifully, right? Like, you know, they've paid attention to the way he's photographed. So his skin is really, like, velvety and lovely, you know, in film, which, you know, kind of, um, yeah, with, with mm. black people, you've got you've to pay attention to how they're photographed because it's not the same. So they actually, actually, you can see they paid attention. Yeah. And I thought that also, as, as soon as he was introduced, there was a shift in the color register and you got more amber tones and so on. Yeah, well, in a way, like, his character is also about the most colorful, you know. So he's, he, he's, um, he runs it. I don't know if he runs it, but he's suddenly he's sort of king of this gambling den. Mm. Um, and he tells stories and he lies back and he smiles and he's got this winning grin. And he yeah. wears, like, basically James Brown, I yeah. think. Like, although, although he's sort of doing Billy D. From the from the yeah. first film, he's basically he James Brown. He's got like they may even make a joke about how many capes he's got. Yes. Um, um, but and so he kind of he captures the room, and then and as you say with his introduction, like everything uh, kind of kind of brightens and lifts up, and there is more color in the room. He's the only one wearing anything that's not kind of brown or grey or white or black. Yes. He's wearing a bit of yellow and some reds and stuff. Yes. And yes. Yeah. Brightens. Anyway, the I like them very much. Uh, and I also like Emilia Clarke, who for most of the film I mistook for. Claire Foy. <laughs> really? Yes. I just I didn't even really recognise her because I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I just thought they found the person who is looks as close to Felicity Jones from the last film right. as they could. Ah, well, that might be it. Uh, but, uh, you know, no, I thought she was Claire Foy from The Crown, uh, uh, you know, for, for much of the film. And I thought she was very, very good. I kind of I really enjoyed... She's, she's fine. And, and I enjoyed uh, the interplay between... Alden Ehrenreich. Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah, just uh, call him Han Solo. Han- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did say to you before the start of the film, I expressed a, a slight prejudice that I th- that I thought that as good as an actor Alden Ehrenreich is, and he stole every scene he was in in Hell Caesar. I yes. loved him in that. I did uh, express a prejudice that I didn't think he'd carry this film. And well, I think I was right about that. I think in a way you are, in the sense that, you know, he he doesn't... He doesn't capture your attention. He doesn't strike me as a film star, right? Uh, you know, kind of, and the, I, I don't know how to say this because, but you know, he's not he's not somebody you immediately look at, first of all, and then when he's in with other people, you pay attention to things like, you know, his stature and so on. He doesn't he doesn't come across as heroic, right? The way that Harrison Ford so effortlessly did, yeah. you know. Uh, but I think on his own terms, he was very good, and I enjoyed seeing him, uh, and and I enjoyed the film very much. Actually, I, you know, kind of I was thinking about, you know, kind of what's different about the way that it's constructed and so on. And you know, one of the one of the interesting things at the moment in this film is that it doesn't seem to have a center. So you know, the structures of power are like really diffused. It really kind of feels almost like a state of barbarism. You know, like. Kind of, you know how they say that after the the Roman Empire, kind of, you know, there was like this, this, yeah, the Dark Ages, the state of barbarism, and then kind of like, you know, uh, 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 structures reimposed themselves in new ways. Mm. You know, after that, that scramble that kind of followed the fall of the Roman Empire. I think the the film is depicting a world like that, right? I think it's trying to, 
Actually, the opening, the very opening, after it says a long time ago in a galaxy far away, it has some more text come up, and it says um, the, 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 the galaxy is in a state of chaos of some sort. Um, uh, people basically fight over food and fuel and something. And it basically made it sound like Mad Max in space. A little bit. Like, yeah, I wish I it would have been great. more like Mad Max in space. Yeah. I wish it would have felt more, uh, you know, kind of, kind of chaotic and lawless. Actually, it feels like too many rules are sort of followed in a weird way. Like, for a film that's supposed to be about a guy who doesn't have a master and, and you, know, you know, deserts the army and breaks out and, and never follows any rules, it's a film that is so predictable and kind of plodding for me. <laughs> uh, that's why it is, it is predictable to a degree, uh, but I enjoyed that predictability because obviously, kind of... You know, so the film is predicated on showing you things that you already know, right? So how you get the Millennium Falcon, you know, how they met Chewbacca and so on, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know he's not going to die. So it's already kind of... That's not the kind of predictability I mean, though. Like, I mean, obviously, you know that he's going to get his hands on the Falcon in a gambling game. That's like how... That's what all the story always was. And you know that... um, uh, he's going to do the Kessel Run. Like you have the inkling it's going to be shown in this film because it's, what? What else would they show it? Mm. When else are they going to show it? Um, but but you know. But the thing of like the, the whole story about getting the fuel and, and the gam- uh, uh, not the, gam- the 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 debt that Woody Harrelson has to pay off for stuff. Like all of that's completely invented for this film. Mm. And as far as I'm aware, I, I watch you know, films. So, you Star Wars fans are so. Um... But I don't watch any of the other shit. I only watch the movies. Like I'm not a mega fan. Like I, I say. So but you're a fan though. I'm a fan. But like Darth Maul shows up in this. And immediately I'm doing the math in my head going, how the hell is Darth Maul in this? He died in Phantom Menace. Like, when's this movie set? Mm. And then, and, it, and it's only when I went online and Googled, how is Darth Maul in Solo? <laughs> you see? But I, did, but I had to find out. And then, and then it said, like, oh, Darth Maul's, Darth Maul's been in the cartoons for ages. We don't watch the cartoons. Yeah. Apparently they're, like, canon or whatever. Anyway, I'm not a particular fan. And what I find very interesting is how fans can excuse the last 30 years of shit films... And all of a sudden, kind of look at this, which I think is the you know the best of the bunch, and kind of begin to pick fault with it because you know of Han Solo. Do you really think it's better than the Last Jedi? We yes. had a great time during that. Yes, I know you did. We. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, um, we found a lot it. to discuss. Yeah, we did, and I liked it. Uh, but actually, this is this is the one that I feel I'd like to see it again. You know, mm-hmm. and and not that I think it's a great masterpiece or anything. Mm. But I think it's a more densely textured film, you know? Okay. Uh, uh, and, and I actually think that it's one that people who are not Star Wars fans, you know, but who are fans of, like, you know, action sci-fi, would enjoy the most than, you know, any of the other ones. I mean... I'd say that's certainly true, because it's, it's more of, a, of, of, like, an origin or, you know, introducing new things type of story. Like, and Rogue One, I think, is the same thing yes. with, with brand new characters that you haven't seen before. Yes, um, you know, and 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 I think I think uh, this is a film that has a lot going for it, really. So you know, without wanting to make claims that you know it's like you know, a, a, a great movie, um, I I love the action, I love the setup, I love the characterization more than in any other Star Wars film, really. You know, so it's true that some of the throwaway lines that you had between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford in the originals. They're not, you know, you don't get that type of ease with the throwaway humor, you know, that you did in those er- early films. Um, but I found the, the, you know, the the romance between uh, uh, Han Solo uh, and I forget what her name is. Kira, I think. Kira, yeah. 
I found it compelling. I found it interesting. I found it noirish, really. Yeah, like kind of it is touching on that kind of aesthetic uh, for a while. Uh, and so I found it compelling. It drew me in. Uh, uh, it is true also that there are times where in the film that my mind wandered, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of... It's, it's over two hours long and it's just not necessary. Yeah. So, um, but I, I didn't feel a single bit of chemistry between any of the characters, I've got to say. Even Donald Glover, and he's doing his, all the work. Oh, I, I love... I didn't feel any chemistry. I love Woody Harrelson in this. I think he's wonderful. Uh, I mean, I love Paul Bettany, but, you know, even he shows up and can't save it. But he's very good. He is very good. But again, like, I'm talking about chemistry, like relationships between characters. You're talking about the romance between the guy and the girl. Didn't feel a single second of it. I'm watching the whole opening of the film and this great escape and how they're going to go off together and, and then they get separated and it's this great moment and I'm going, why don't I feel anything? I don't know because I jumped out of my seat as you saw. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you feel anything? The point is, I don't think it's my fault. Uh -huh. I think it feels kind of lazy. Like, even though, even though it's clearly not lazy, like the amount, you know, it, it's sort of the, the the production values are extraordinary, and it's it looks amazing, and the design of everything is really, really good. You get like that kind of that kind of well, it's Star Wars, but it's also that kind of alien sort of brushed steel aesthetic where it's like in space, everything is still just as shit as it is now, but it's in space, mm -hmm. you know, which kind of looks interesting, you know, peeling paints and things like that. I feel that visually, I'm at pains to talk about films that I see in 3D because, you know, uh, um, I, I always think that the 3D, I, like I hate seeing things in 3D actually. Uh, and I don't think the 3D brought anything to this movie, mm. um, you know, except the loss of color, you know, and kind of the occasional kind of loss in the way that you think of compositions and things like that. I wish I'd have seen it kind of without the glasses because the glasses just darken everything. Uh, you know, and so uh, um, kind of I feel I'm a bit muddled in a way kind of talking about the visuals of the film when I feel I haven't really seen them properly, you know. I so, yeah, I just sort of know what you mean. On the other hand, it's like it, 3D is the major way that people will see it, so it's kind of useful to talk about it in that respect. Yeah, I guess like, so. I don't know um, if it's the major thing. It's certainly, well, it's a thing. Is that well? It's I, a major I mean, thing. I, well, I, I, it's a major, but not necessarily the dominant. I don't thing. know if it is or isn't. I don't have figures, but it's you know. I, I would think there's more than like ten percent of people go and see it in three D. I think it's. Right. I'd imagine it's over half. Oh, I wouldn't expect that much. But, I don't know. You know, but anyway, I just hate. It's an event it thing, way. isn't it? It's any yeah, but I don't know. I don't know either. I, I, I we literally don't know. Yeah, three D has lost ground. Uh, for a reason. I mean, a few years ago, you know, kind of there were televisions with 3D and 3D, as it periodically does, you know, uh, seemed to be the future. And then as it periodically does, people realize, well, it's not actually, it's, you know, uh, there are some things that it's good at, but very few things and for very few films. And I think this is one of the ones where it doesn't add anything except a loss in terms of visuals. I, I, I think that's... I don't like that way of looking at it because I, th I think 3D does offer more than that but it's, it's so often just used very badly and people don't really and, and actually the people behind people behind the films um, like in a film like Star Wars there's no way that it's not going to be made in 3D so so whatever you want to do as a director you've got to do 3D as well mm. and I think that's the kind of the way people look at it like I've got to do this as well so I'll just plonk it on um, whereas when you use it more carefully and you, and you and you really think about it, I think you could make some incredible stuff. And, and actually, I think that's one of the ways that The Last Jedi was better than this. I think The Last Jedi is visually miles uh, ahead of this. This mm. film, as I say, I think feels visually lazy. 
There's a lot um, of there's a lot of handy cam, shaky cam, snapshots, that sort of thing. I don't, it doesn't feel careful to mm. me, or particularly interestingly composed. And I think it's a failure of the direction uh, more than the, the 3D. Mm. Um, there are a lot of things that I've liked almost more than any other film. I think kind of you know this is a film that's kind of responsive uh, uh, to the culture it's from. And, you know, these liberation struggles, the uh, allusions uh, to the Black Lives Matter and the, you know, and stuff like that is really interesting. It's the most ethnically mixed of um, castes, unless I suppose you consider like, you know, all these people from different planets Um, and so on. Well, I mean, you say that actually one of the things that's interesting is when when fans, uh, quote unquote fans, no one hates Star Wars like a Star Wars fan, do you know what I mean? Yes. and after The Last Jedi, where they were saying, uh, this isn't Star Wars, this is nothing like Star Wars, and, and so on. Um, and clearly it was the best film they'd done in years. Uh, one of the things that they decided to, they would be offended by is that it was such a multicultural, multiracial, and, and uh, uh, also female-heavy mm. uh, film. Well, I think the female thing was the most... That was certainly, yeah. Uh, um, f- yeah. I mean, the the, uh, the um, Laura Dern character, which I was saying to you, is like it's like it's like at Disney they went, how can we piss off all these twenty five year old and thirty year old guys? Mm. Let's put their mum in the film as the boss, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and make and give her purple hair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I th- and it's great. Uh, it's actually great for that reason because um, uh, she's such a good character. But um, but basically, what they so they kind of decided, oh, we're going to boycott Solo, mm. so, and, and it's like. Which is like, they basically said, you know that time that you gave us a film full of people of colour and women? Well, we're going to boycott the time that you give us a film with a straight white guy. Yes. <laughs> well, know? I don't know. I mean, I, I did think that... Uh, um, but of course, it's not a boycott anyway. Those guys are the first in line. Yes. You know? I mean, yeah. I'm made sure $80 million dollars over the weekend. Yeah, which is not nothing. Not nothing. Uh, but it's not like Avengers big, is it? No, and considering it cost $250 million because they basically had to make the film twice because they fired Phil Lord and Christopher Miller and then got Ron Howard in to pretty much, as far as I can tell, remake the whole Rescue thing again. The film, yeah. um, and, and from what I understand, like he made it almost from scratch. Right. So they made the same film twice. So $80 million is being considered kind of a flop of a weekend at the moment, which is madness. Yeah. It's Ron Howard's biggest ever opening. Right. But not um, Star Wars. Is. Well, it'll make its money back. And actually, I, I tell you, I am tempted to see it again. I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I don't even think I'm being churlish. Like, I really wanted to have a good time. And, and I love Donald Glover. And I really like Arlen Ehrenreich. Yeah. And I thought this film has a lot going for it. I like Han Solo. Yes. You know? And I like a bit of a caper, which is so, what this should have been. Okay, so let's explore that further. When did the film begin to lose you? Um, that's interesting. It, it, I guess it kind of had me... Um, at least until they got separated. I was into it then because I was into the world it was okay, building. Yeah, that's the first 20 minutes. That's the first 20 minutes or so. At least had me until then. <laughs> um, but, but I would say, it, even in that car chase, I was going, I'm not feeling anything during this. Um, and then you've got the, the, the... He joins up with the... When he's in the Empire, that was kind of interesting to him because I didn't... You know, that's kind of like a side of the character, I guess, almost, mm. that like you never thought of. Yes, you know, I thought that was interesting. So it made him like a vet. And, and actually, I thought that was great because it explains his skills and... You know, and so on. He's somebody who's been trained, yeah. right? You know, and has been like really well trained, and therefore has all these skills, right? Which which helps explain the character. Yeah, and it emphasizes the mercenary side of his character yeah. as well. Where it's like he will do anything to achieve a, an objective, yes. like whether we think. And, you, and you, actually, you don't get any uh, inkling of like him thinking this is the bad thing, but I'll do it because I've got a greater objective in mind. He does it just because he does it. He yes. needs, you know. So you don't. So it's not like uh, he's he's morally pretty cloudy, you know. 
Which is interesting. Um, yeah, but he's not morally so cloudy because, you know, the thing about him is that he's completely ruled by his love for her. Yes. Yeah, so, so actually that's not cloudy at all. That's like the leading thing that motivates everything, which in a way makes him pure. In a way. You yeah. know, he's ruled by love. That's true. that's true but nonetheless he joins the Empire and I've been conditioned by you know a lifetime of watching Star Wars to think that the Empire is pretty bad mm. so yeah and, and Han is supposed to be a hero mm. so to, to put him in the Empire is an interesting mm. move um, and then it's when he joins the mercenaries I guess I, I start to tune out um, I, I enjoyed seeing his relationship with Chewbacca I suppose but um, uh, him and the mercenaries I, I didn't feel like I got why he had to be with them to learn various lessons and have his character grow in certain mm. ways, but I just wasn't taken by any of it. I don't know about... Mm. Can't speak for you. I don't know. I was very taken with Andy Newton. I loved her character. Every time she was on screen, there was just, like, magic happening. Like, you for know... For ten minutes, and then she goes. I know, but, uh, you know, we're kind of going through... We're ticking the boxes Okay, here, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> fine, fine. You know? So, I loved watching her, and I loved watching her into a relationship with Woody Harrelson. And every time Woody Harrelson's on screen... I'm interested. Uh, and he always does something interesting, actually, kind of, you know, uh, with the line readings or with his stance or his posture. Uh, uh, you know, so I like that all very much. I, where, where I think there were some things that were very amateurish. So I thought the resistance revelation towards the end, right? There's a the scene end. of a thousand revelations where it's just twist after twist after twist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I thought, you know, that the young girl who played the role was just not very expert, you know, mm. and she felt very awkward and so on. So there were a few moments like that, though it had its charm as well. Oh, do you mean when she's on the, on the phone to Darth Maul? And she's... No, no, no. I'm talking about, uh, you know, when those mercenaries... At the end, oh of the yes, the ginger girl. Yes. Yeah, and she she reveals that actually instead of being this kind of brutish lad, who you guess he will she's be, she's a young girl. She's a young girl from Scotland. Yeah. So uh, uh, things like that, but um, but I liked it very much. Actually, I, I think you know, in terms of my own enjoyment, it is the one that I've enjoyed most since The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Yes. Fair enough. And actually, and there's some there is I do want to underline because to me the thing about so many of the Star Wars films is A, they're dull, B, they're boring, C, there's nothing to look at. They feel thin, 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 right? Like, you know, they really rely on the fan base to make all kinds of social relations that the film doesn't bother to make on its own. That's true. You know, so, and, and, and this one feels the most textured, yeah? Kind of, there are real actors and there's a real plot and, you know, kind of, uh, 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 and it's making good use of the world that's kind of already been created. So uh, I think this has... Yeah, like more, it's, it's, it's got more texture. There's more going on, it seems to me. Yeah, in a way, I suppose, maybe. So, and, I, and I don't disagree with you that, you know, some of the things could have been better than or could have had more... I think it, the thing about pace is true, and it could certainly have had more snap, right? And I do think that some of the humorous bits could have been better Oh, they better died on the a lot of the lines. Yeah. Completely. I mean, I, I, it's subjective, of course, uh, humor, but... Um, you know, I laughed at a few bits. I really enjoyed, for instance, when when the the feminist robot uh, foments a revolution yes. on this slave planet, and you've got the robots. Um, she, she as as well as uh, slaves being broken out, she breaks the robots out as well. They're kind of slaves too, and they start trampling all over the desks. And there's a couple of really funny little shots in there. These mm. little robots walking and stuff and breaking it. That's really nice. Mm. Um, yeah. So the, the humor has its moments, but a lot of it falls so dead. Okay. Um, to me, it's a film in which everyone's entrapped. You know, in which kind of, you know, there's no system. 
uh, or there's no structures that anybody believes in. So the line of the film is, is just to stay in the game, to survive. That's the main goal of a lot of people. Mm. Uh, and, you know, kind of, uh, there's love, but it's not enough, you know, and that kind of love is constantly sacrificed or perverted or bypassed or whatever, you know, in terms of like this game of survival. I think it's kind of, it's an interesting yeah. thing at the moment, right? Um, and obviously kind of, you know, the world is very decentered. Uh, uh, there's all these like little pockets of uh, resistance that kind of get continuously quashed. It's a world in which kind of, you know, betrayal is the expectation. I mean, it's a very bleak world. Yeah, no, I, I actually appreciate that. And I think that's interesting. And that'd be worth kind of looking at it again through those eyes. I, I, I mean, I did think at one point, um, the idea of love not being enough. Like I did think when you had that scene of, like I say, a thousand revelations and mm. everyone knows something about someone else and they're all back, backstabbing each other mm. and they all know that, oh, I knew you would do that, so I did this, but I knew you would do that, so I did this. Yes, yes. I like that. There's a lot of that and it, it gets kind of, I wish it would get more campy actually, like I wish it would seem a little bit more knowing about yeah. how silly that scene is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonetheless, um, well, by the time you got to the end of that scene, I did sort of think, I can understand why Han Solo would become the guy he is by the time you meet him in 1977 yes. because of the way he's sort of been treated by the people around him and especially the girl. Yes. Like I can sort of see like how that would take a toll on a guy and and the, and the, the lesson that the um the lesson that the Woody Harrelson character is always trying to teach him which is don't trust anybody because yes. every single person in the world is going to stab you in the back at some point. Yes. Um you know obviously he takes to heart and and he shoots Woody Harrelson at the end before Woody Harrelson can shoot him. Yes. So it's like he sort of had his had a kind of a transformation and a sort of loss and yes. a descent in a way, but it doesn't feel like it. Like even though you can sort of intellectualize it and you can say, well, this is sort of what it means, it doesn't feel like it. Doesn't. I think part of the problem is that Ron Howard is the most earnest director in like the history of cinema, <laughs> right? And so, and I think, you know, there are moments where you wish somebody had been a bit cooler. You know, and just throw stuff away or be more casual. Yeah, like a kind of, you know, somebody with a more ironic, comedic vein uh, would have drawn out, you know, kind of uh, more juice out of the material. Uh, but I also think that there's a value in his earnestness, you know. Yeah, I would um, say the only, the only filmmaker more earnest for me is Christopher Nolan. Mm. You know, when he because at least Ron Howard doesn't have a character literally shout the word love mm. at the camera. Well, <laughs> but though, that. Though, there, though actually, there's something about about Nolan filmmaking that's that's not earnest at all. You know, that it's kind of it's exciting and deviant and <laughs> you know and experimental. It's not you know. But I think I wouldn't it's describe a, it as earnest. Oh no, I'd say I, well. I, I, Ernest, insofar as like, there's nothing ironic about Nolan. I don't think. I think he, um, I think he means everything he does. Yes. You know what I mean. Yes. Um, um, I don't think there's a moment of cynicism in any of his films. Hmm. That's well. That's true. I suppose. Yes. That's, that's interesting. What, that's something I like about them. I loved uh, the racing film. R uh, Rush. Yes. Yeah, it's always on my mind. Yeah. I want to watch that every day for the rest of my life. I really <laughs> love that film. I really love that film. If I put it on, it stays on. That, yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah, love it's really great. Film. Everything about it, the performances and the relationships. You know, Ron Howard can make really good films. Apollo 13 is a fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. He's made a bunch. But this, uh, for me, I, I don't know what it is. And you can't, you don't know where to put the blame exactly. And like, obviously the films have production problems, um, which take all, whatever toll. You know, you have no idea. But this film just everything, everything was 
Incoherent's not the right word because it made sense, but it was just sort of flat, mm. flat. And well, lifeless. you know, for me, it's 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 the best Star Wars film in thirty years, Why and not? I'm not a fan. You know, so so I agree that it has all of those problems, but even with those problems, you know, it's still, uh, in my view, the best. You know, of 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 all of those. So I think if you are a Star Wars fan, it's something that you'll you'll. Uh, uh, if you're not a Star Wars fan, it's something that you'll enjoy. If you are a Star Wars fan, it's something that will give you a lot to enjoy and think about, or even just enjoy your frustration at it, like yeah. with you. <laughs> I suppose I enjoy being frustrated at it. It's so long. Uh, it's so long. I, I, I am surprised. I must say that that I, that you find it visually interesting or appealing. I mean, well, you said yourself that you didn't like the gunmetal grey aspect. Of no, it, no, I, I, I didn't. No, I didn't say that I found okay. it interesting or appealing. I found that I couldn't evaluate its visuals because, you know, those those glasses, which sat on me in a rather wonky way mm. anyway, because I wear glasses. You can have a try, though. We saw The Last Jedi in 3D as well, and you loved the way that looked. Well, um, maybe it didn't affect, you know, kind of... Uh, uh, it it was, didn't affect was, me the way that this did. There was more colour in that film. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's it. You know, but I, but I did think, like... Uh, um, you know, I was trying to look even just for compositions and so on, and I just kind of couldn't discern anything, really. Uh, yeah. So, so, so... I think it's the film's fault this time. Ah, uh, it could I, be. I, I, honestly, I do. I'm not, I'm not even, like, just trying to be surly about it. Like, I really do think it's... Well, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I felt I wasn't in a position yeah. to really evaluate her. You know, so... Um, Anyway, last words, because I think we're kind of... Yeah, yeah, we're circling the drain, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I wouldn't waste your time, to be honest, until, ah. it, until it's on telly. Right. <laughs> uh, speaking of telly, I can imagine myself, you know, seeing this on telly, and like you with Rush, sitting through it the whole way through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't think there's enough interesting character sort of interactions. Like, that's what gets me through a film, really. Mm. You know, like, whenever you get... In the Marvel films as well, for instance... You know, we saw um, we saw Infinity War a few weeks ago, and it's action all over the place, and it's a kind of madly orchestrated action over three different planets and whatever it is, and a hundred different characters. But the most interesting thing is always when characters are talking to each other. Always. I'm not. And there's not. I, I wonder if that has to do with where you see them, because it is true that when you're seeing it on TV, all the other things just recede into nothingness, you know, because of the size of the screen. You know, so obviously the characters are the most important, and the, and the conversation, and you know, and so on. But I'm not sure that's that's true if you see it in the cinema. It's definitely my experience in the cinema. That's what I can tell you, definitely. Yeah. And and it's true to say that better action will always be more interesting than worse action. I mean, that's mm. kind of a tautology. Like obviously, better is wor- better than worse. But um, maybe it's a, maybe it's a comment more on the state of how action is, mm. uh, you know, shot and edited than it is about anything else but I always think the most interesting thing is when a character's talking to someone else I'm not I'm not interested in when Iron Man punches someone I'm not interested in when Thor throws his hammer I'm interested in when they're talking to each other and having an argument yeah. that's where the interest is well always. but those kinds of films I mean what else are they, they going to do you know like well exactly uh, <laughs> you know so uh, but they yeah. are actually also but, uh, but this is different in the okay. sense that when Han Solo gets hit you get the feeling that you know he is vulnerable to mm. being hit it's not like Thor, where you know he's a god. <laughs> well, there's an element of that as well, but <sighs> but I, I still always think that yeah, because it, it take it takes really really good, well considered, well thought out action to actually propel a story, mm. and it should, it actually should always, but it normally doesn't. It normally fills a gap, is what yes. action does. So it is a comment on the state of action more than yes. anything. 
but you know the stuff that that propels a story and changes a character and and, and you know uh, gives things life is always the conversation. I think. I wish George Miller had directed this. Well, yeah. <laughs> but he might have actually felt like fucking Mad Max, which is what I want. <laughs> which is what it promised. Anyway, anyway uh, yeah. let's wrap it here. Uh, I recommend it. I wouldn't. <laughs> and on that note, thank you for listening. We're on iTunes, on Facebook, on SoundCloud, on Twitter, on Twitter, and on Facebook uh, under Eavesdrop. Yeah, if you Google eavesdropping the movies, we show up. And on Twitter, we're at eavesdrop movies. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Voila. Bye. <laughs>